Hello, hello, hello. And hi. I was just thinking uh, in my life of 61 years, uh, uh, just a number of presidents that, um, that I have seen come through our country. I was thinking about Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Nixon, and Humphrey, and Ford, and the Bushes, uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, I'm getting old, huh? Uh, now we have Obama. And I was thinking all these different authorities that we see come and go. And I, I think about the Old Testament, how God is the God who's represented in the Old Testament. And he reveals himself to certain people. And he reveals himself as uh, a stringent, kind of even hard and harsh in the Old Testament. And then we have Jesus Christ come on the scene, and his job is to be the redeemer of the whole world. His job is to lay down his life and to suffer incredibly as a man and even as God. When you think God in flesh, he left the closeness of his Father in heaven, and he became a a man, and for 33 and a half years, he allowed himself to be tormented, and he didn't use any of his authority until it was time. And then it was uniquely specific to what God wanted him to do. And then when he he died and he rose again, he did probably one of the greatest things for us that he could do. He left the next person in charge, the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit is the one that's on deck right now. He is the authority in the earth. He's the one that takes residence in our heart. He's the one that does signs, wonders, and miracles. Even through Jesus, Jesus said it was the Holy Spirit that did the work. In fact, Jesus didn't come in even into power until the Holy Spirit came upon him at water baptism. And there was initiation of ministry and purpose and fulfillment and the dynamic of what God in flesh is and and his experiences in our lives as Christian believers. And so every time we gather together, my whole focus and my purpose is that you would experience the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that you will experience the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you guys, but I know some of you maybe go to the gas station maybe every other day or maybe every day. Some of you may go to the gas station once a week. And when you stick that nozzle in there, you know you're going to be able to ride for a while. Every time we gather together as believers, the tank, it begins to be filled by the Holy Spirit. God tanks us up spiritually. God fills us with wisdom. He fills us with understanding. He fills us with his presence. He fills us with hope. He fills us with joy. He ignites purpose in us. We, sometimes we come out of a fog and we come out of places of discouragement and uh, unclarity. And then there's something that resonates from deep in our spirit and we have a knowing of what we want to do. We get answers to our problems. We get answers and steps we need to take in our life that will bring more change and uh, bring more fulfillment in our life. And so as we're here for a few minutes, and I have a few things I want to say, my biggest prayer is that when we come together, you will ask God to speak to you. It's not enough that you come here and listen to me. I do not have enough food to sustain you spiritually. But you must be one who feeds on the Lord. You must be one who knows how to tap into the Holy Spirit and allow His presence and power to use the gifts and abilities that He's gifted you uniquely to and for and let those things come out of you. So I want to pray right now. And anything that's distracting you or discouraging you, any heaviness you have, let's just take it right now and give it to the Lord and ask God to speak to you. Ask God to so fill you up that when you leave here, you're going to have an excitement about your week. You're going to even have an excitement about the problems and difficulties you're facing because now somehow you've risen to this level of faith and know God is going to do things for you. God, we come collectively, Lord, as the body of Christ. 
Lord, as this little local church at Hillside, and we're asking you to minister to us. Lord, as pastor, I pray over the spiritual atmosphere in this place where the enemy would try to distract and hinder and discourage and cause other thoughts to come in. And I pray that there would be a a no-fly zone over this house right now for the next few minutes. And I pray that there would be a download of your Holy Spirit to each person, Lord, directly those things you want to say. I pray you'd bring clarity of vision, clarity of understanding. I pray that you would heal wounds in in hearts and places of, 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 of just brokenness. We're asking, God, that you would take confusion away. God, take away even some people are here. They're going through extremely hard difficulties right now. They're going through rejection and loss. Uh, They're facing financial burdens and troubles. And Lord, you said in your word that you take care of all of this stuff. And so we speak to the enemy. We say, you be gone back right now in Jesus' name. We say to discouragement, get back in the name of Jesus. We say to oppression, step aside in the name of Jesus. We pray against those things that would even come against our physical bodies. And Lord, since you paid the price on Calvary, and since your body bore the stripes, we're asking you would manifest healing in this body. That people who are searching for answers and searching for healings and searching for um, antidotes and and, uh, remedies, that you would lead them to the right doctors. But above all, you would manifest the healing presence of your Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and now dwells within us to manifest life in these mortal bodies that we might live to your glory and honor and that we might have more stories to tell people. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. You know, last week, um, during the week, it was my, uh, I don't really speak too often at Thrive, but it was my turn to speak about spiritual authority. And we're talking in this series about spiritual warfare. And so one of the great tools in spiritual warfare is spiritual authority. And it is my desire as your pastor, and my prayer over you is that you will come to understand what the spiritual authority God has given you, and as believers, you walk in it. Because when you walk in your spiritual authority, you become a greater threat to the enemy. You bring a greater protection over your family. More blessing of God is on everything you do. And you're even to go through more trials because the enemy does not walk in, ha- want you to walk in spiritual authority. But as you hang on and you move through those resistances for you stepping up, there's going to become a day and a moment where there's going to be a breakthrough. And, and whatever the enemy can try to do will no longer hinder you as much as maybe it is right now. Because God sent Jesus to live and die, and as soon as Jesus died, he left again and gave that authority he had given to Adam that was robbed by Satan, and he gave it back to us. But because I had to kind of rush through my, my message on, on spiritual authority, I wanted to cover an area. Because if you're here in this church very long, we, we talk about being committed here, about coming to meetings, coming to church, and every time we get together, to come and gather. Why? Because we believe there's an empowerment for, for the Holy Spirit and for you, And we believe also that as you come together according to what the Bible says, there's an enriching and a restoring and an infusing of that spiritual life in you that you can walk in your spiritual authority. And what does that mean? You know, I gave a little brief thing about uh, growing up in church and submitting to authority, but I talked about how even how I did that, how I had rebellion that God had to work. And how I tried to be good and do everything my boss and people said. Why? Because I wanted to reserve a right to be rebellious. And if I did everything perfectly, I would not have to come under the authority that God puts in my life. Everywhere we go, there's spiritual authority. Everywhere we go, there's people telling us what to do. Even the people at the grocery store are telling you what to do. Slide your card. It didn't work. Slide your card. Everywhere we go, someone's telling us what to do. 
If you walk by a school, there's a little traffic guard stopping and saying, you have to stop. We can't get away with it. So why don't we embrace authority so that we can walk in authority? But when we ask you to come in, uh, it's not like you're going to come into this cult and now I'm going to be telling you who you're going to marry, what you're going to do, you know, what you're going to have for dinner. To me, what spiritual authority is in this church is that there is a place here and we stand, our leaders, we stand in this place and we pray against darkness and discouragement. We pray against everything the enemy would try to do to discourage you from following Jesus. And so spiritual authority is this covering. Right now we're in a building, and yeah, the sun's not beating on us, and it's not raining, so actually we're protected. If it was raining, we'd be protected. But the covering I'm talking about that happens in submitting to authority is the blanket that comes over it. When you come into this place, there is a protection that comes over you for a few moments because it's a spiritual no-fly zone. That means the Lord is reigning over the atmosphere here, and so often when you come together, you're going to hear more than you hear at any other places. You've heard me say this before. If you've been here a while, I can remember hearing more things. I can't really tell you very many messages I've heard in the million messages I've heard in all my life being in church. But I can remember the specific moments when God spoke to my heart and he spoke in ways that were so powerful as I wrote them down. I saw during my life and my commitment to God and my commitment even to be in a local church and submit under a pastor, I saw how God brought him to pass. A couple weeks ago, you saw Ernest Gentile, which was the major spiritual father in my life. I met him when I was six years old. And when I was in my 20s, I submitted myself under him for probably over 25 years. Now, as being submitted to him, did, did I spend all this time under him? I could remember twice I was in his office. Once as a young single man, and they had started the Bible college, and he was encouraging the young guys to get into Bible college. Actually, I didn't even start my Bible college classes until... I was uh, married, and I was in my, almost my 40s. Another time I was going to make a major decision, and I asked him. And I asked him his wisdom, and, you know, he, he gave me his wisdom, but he also said, you know, you need to do what you feel like you need to do. And so I did it. In fact, I, that decision was I was going to get married to Dory. I was connected with her and her pastor and their church, and I ministered with them all the time, and I felt for a season I needed to go be and changed my place of authority. So he reluctantly me, prayed over me, released me. After a year, we realized we need to be in a local church because what God's doing in our marriage, we need to come under a, a covering. And so I went back to under earnest. And I remember, again, when you pray and you make those decisions, and when you submit yourself, I can remember being back under earnest, and I felt this giddiness, this happiness come over me. I had this feeling again, I am home. Because when, as a young adult, when I committed to, to be a member and I committed to a local church, is because the Holy Spirit almost like said to me, this is your home. And so I sat under earnest. And did I love every time under earnest? No. I, I, I fidgeted. I squirmed. There was times I didn't understand what God was doing in my life. And did I want to leave? Oh, yeah. There was times I wanted to leave. There was times I, I, wanted, I thought I had enough of spiritual wisdom. I, w- I was full enough of myself. And I thought it was spiritual, but it was just self my rebellion. But out of obedience to things that were told me, even a prophetic word that, that a prophet gave me once, when he told me to stay under, I stayed. And in that fullness of time, God developed something in me that now you are partaking a little bit of it. But it's because of obedience. It's because of submission and learning to respect authority. We are in a world where people do not respect authority. If they don't see authority do what it says immediately, they quickly say, forget it. I'm not going to believe in you. I'm not going to trust you. 
But I tell you, God establishes spiritual authority. Judy spoke up the other night and, and reminded us that even under, you could be under even someone who's not the best, but if it's where God wants you, God's going to teach you something even with the authority that may be off. And she gave the example of David, how he submitted under Saul and how Saul tried to kill him over and over again, but he didn't touch God's anointed and he stayed humbly under there. And when in the right time came, God released David into a place of position and power because he could be trusted. God wants to give you authority, but he cannot give you authority until you learn how to submit under and trust authority. And when you trust authority, authority, and God sees in his timing that you can be trusted with authority, God will give you more authority. And you will walk in a confidence and a power that will change your life and will bring the gospel and the power to, to other people's lives. That's my little preamble. And now I will continue. The title of my message today is Inheritance. The inheritance from God is love. And so I want to talk about some things and um, just really talk about love a little bit this morning. Here's some verses on submission. They're not on the PowerPoint, but if you want to look them up, it, the first one is 1 Peter 5.5, 5, or if you just want to listen, I will read it to you. I'm reading out of New King James. Peter writes, You younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it's interesting, you know, submission means to obey, to come under. Really the key thing is submit self. Part of the fall and part of our brokenness is everyone has their own will. And I think we see struggles in families and marriages because we have, anytime a couple people come together, we have conflicting wills. How many would say, honestly, in your marriage, you conflict with your spouse? Yes. But marriage is also that place as believers that God is teaching us how to work things out together. The husband is supposed to take responsibility for the final decision, but you're just like a CEO where you gather these people around you who have wisdom and understanding and they have insight and they have input and they can make you a success. You husbands, you get to make the final say, but your wife so often will be used by God to give you the, the wisdom you need to make the right decision. And so I encourage you, those of you who are married, let's pray with our spouse. Again, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a united front that happens and God empowers. And you single people, you should be praying. If you want to be single, get strong and get closer to God. But if you want to be married, be praying for who that person is you're supposed to hook up with. Because there's a bigger destiny God has for you than just finding someone to try to exert your will over and find great conflict. Ephesians, uh, oh, then it says, you know, submit one to another. Think of it. All we do is, as we grow uh, closer together and we're trying to be closer and trying to be a body where we function together as a good team is that we lay self down as we come together. We put our selfish things aside and we look to what's going to be for the spiritual good. Those of you who work together in ministry or, you know, you're over a ministry and you have people under you, it's that submission thing. And I don't think we have any leaders in our church that are just downright stinkers that, that you don't want to be under. <laughs> Ephesians 5.17 is our next verse. 5.17 through 21. Paul writes this, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's a lot of wills. We have a free will, but in coming to Christ, 
in our submission to his will, we really find out what we're made for, what we're to do, and the greatest fulfillment that we're going to have and the most long-lasting fulfillment is by understanding what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And that just means so keeping yourself filled and having a heart attitude with the Lord that you're constantly being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because we have an old nature we live with. We're bombarded with every negative thought and feeling to discourage our faith and to tell us God is not working and to tell us God's not answering our prayers, that we're getting drained. We had to silicone this tub about three years ago because we found out the first time we filled it, we filled it the night before, and the next day half the water was in the carpet. You really could have walked on water that day. (laughs) And so because we leak out, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. And again, if he is the designated deity on the earth and he's walking in power, the Holy Spirit, then I don't know about you, but I want more power. I know, I've said this before, you want it in your computers, you want it in your phones, you want it in your car, but you want gas mileage. I don't know how that's going to happen. But we want more power. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. He's the power that's continually saving us. He's the power that infuses our faith to believe and trust when everything in us and everything facing us is telling us, God is not there. He's left town. Why don't you leave town too? We have to trust. We have to have the Holy Spirit filling us. So, singing to yourself in songs and hymns, making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to the God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting again to one another in the fear of God. What's the fear of God? When I'm not submitting, I'm disrupting God's plan. The apostles and prophets, the fivefold ministry, were all put in to the local church to build the body. In fact, nothing's going to end until the body comes into this unity. And I don't know how he's going to do it because of all the differences, but probably there's going to be this moment right before it happens when things are going to start clicking and snapping together and we are going to be one. Jesus' prayer for us to be one. This is just before Jesus went to the cross in John 17 where Jesus is doing all this prayer for his disciples, but he's also praying for all those who are going to believe in the gospel message. So we're reading again John 17, 11, and I haven't given you any PowerPoint yet. Thank you, Jesus. I'm in control. Now I am no longer in the world, Jesus said, but these are in the world. He's talking to the Father. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those who you have given to me, that they may be one as we are one. Why? Because when we're one, there comes an increase in the power of the Holy Spirit. There comes an increase in that prophetic presence. And we use that word, it just means our spirit that's connected with God, that hears from God, receives these messages and so when we speak it out and and when we tell what we feel down in our spirit it's it's those prophetic words it's like being a mouthpiece for god when we ever use that word prophetic it's just being able to to tune in with god and then say what he's saying that's what was happening here during prayer when people were getting baptized we had these uh things that were not of our own head they didn't necessarily come from up here they came from in our spirit and and we so we gave our our mouth permission to say them And when you get a word, it should resonate in your own spirit that it's yours. Otherwise, just put it on the back burner. In God's timing, it'll bring. And if not, if it wasn't for you, it's not going to happen. Okay, John 17, 21. Jesus prayed on 
to the Father, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Again, that unity, it brings such a release in the representation of the Godhead. John 17, 22 and 23, Jesus continues. Lord, that the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they be be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I think a lot of times we're going without because everyone's not in their place. Ever been to a, a concert and, I mean, the guy who plays the horn's not there, the drummer's not there. Maybe you haven't because they don't start unless it happens. But you can see the vital importance of the places that we hold. And so when everybody makes God the first priority and aligns their life according to his priorities, then the body becomes one and you see more people doing more things. I mean, I was at my son's, the church my son got involved with um, this last year in San Diego, and I was impressed about all the ministries they had and all the things they were doing. They, they were in the city. They were in small groups. They had everything. I'm thinking, God, let this place grow more before I die off. Let, let there be just things for every person. Let, let the needs that every person has have it ministered to because someone has risen up and taken their place. Someone has laid their life down to the place where ministry is happening for the different needs that are in a church. And uh, that's, what we're, that's, what we're, that's what we're believing God's doing. and That's what he's doing in his building. Um, now I want to go back to the scripture. This is the third week I've given it to you because I feel like it's, again, a word to our church in this season where we're at that God has initiated. It's Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. It's interesting he says spare not because so usually when God wants to move, it doesn't look like it's time to move. It doesn't feel like it's time to, new, to move. Nothing seems like right. And we often go so much by our own uh, perceptions and our own interpretations about timing and decisions. And really, our timing never matches God anyway. And so God is saying stretch out. So part of our stretching out is we're, we're doing some stuff that need to be done in here that haven't been done for probably over seven years. But also, I, I am excited about, which is, that's the part Dory shared about, you know, what we're doing in the natural here. But I'm excited what God's doing in the spiritual. And we could even feel it the last few weeks in, in people, that God is reaching people. Even the fact that we did this baptism, the people that are coming to Christ, the people that are getting filled with the Holy Spirit, the people that are having experiences with God, and so they're making changes in their life. They're adapting and changing themselves. That tells me we are getting right by expanding our tent pegs. You know, we're stretching out. We're strengthening the stakes. And that just means for us who believe to keep strengthening our own faith in God, uh, to maybe take some inventory of our lives spiritually and, and find out, uh, are we hot? Are we doing what God wants us to do? And if we're not, all it takes is God, hey, forgive me. Forgive me for staying a little bit time on my spiritual couch and not doing anything. And Lord, uh, I'm open. I'm, I'm ready to get off the bench and I'm ready to do something. And, and, you know, God's not punishing us 
you know, because of our disobedience, but he's waiting for us to confess our sins so we can get back in the game, his game. Verse uh, 3 is the next prophetic verse. For you will spread abroad, abroad to the right hand and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. A lot of you guys are my offspring. You have become spiritual children, and a lot of us here um, you could say the same thing that I'm saying. You are my offspring. There, there are leaders and people that have been in this church, and, and you're saying, you're my kids. You know, for me to see Savannah grow up in this church, I think 13 years, um, she's a youth pastor now. It, it, I get to share in Joanna and, and Saul's, they're her parents, but I get to be part of her spirit, spiritual family and uh, what an awesome experience to see little Becca baptized today and to see God growing in you. I told your parents, man, you look at her eyes. You can't believe how much Jesus is shining out of her. I mean, she has these glowing, beautiful eyes as it is. But to see the growth in her spiritual life, you see her eye gate reflecting the glory of who Jesus is. And, and so it's awesome to, to watch people grow up and take on responsibility. Uh, Ernest was kind of chuckling because I, I call, him on, call him on the phone regularly, and he's glad. He, he said even on his message, he's glad he's not pastoring anymore. He just gets to go out and speak and encourage people, but he doesn't have the weight of pastoring anymore. He doesn't have to deal with any problems or anything, and he chuckles at me that I'm doing this, you know? And uh, I just laugh at him too because I say, yeah, you know, sometimes it's hard, but thank you. Thank you for being faithful to God and standing in that place of, of telling us that there are things that are so much more important than all the things that try to take up our time. You know, it's easy for us to realize, you know, that, you know, we're living life and we forget our mortality. And we forget because we're living life every day that this is going to come to an end, that, that there is a day I'm going to have to give up, you know, this life. And, and enter eternity. So I'm so glad that I've been taught how to put my priorities right where I put God first. And, and, I'm, and I make sure I'm tracking in my heart with what he wants because I don't know when he's going to call me home. And it's so awesome for us to take this time and look to the eternal things and let our hearts be adjusted to what God has for us. Um, Isaiah 49, 13. I want to continue a little bit from last week. Sing for joy, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion upon his afflicted. Are you feeling afflicted? Are you feeling like you're in a need for comfort? Well, let me just reassure you that God will come and comfort you. Are you afflicted? God will come and relieve you of those afflictions. You may be in the middle of it, and you may be saying right now, oh, why don't you do it right now? Pray that prayer. We don't know when or how, or we don't understand always the, the circumstances and the seasons that we're going through, but this is a promise. And the biggest thing is, because we're believers, God wants to continue to lift us out of our, our present reality and those things that discourage us. And it's going to come through our, our spirit that gets energized and revived our joy is heaven's joy when we look above our circumstances and we look above and beyond what we are facing. And, and it goes right along with um, about enlarging our, our place, our tent, and strengthening 
the, the tent stakes because it's about reaching out to people. It's about God connecting us with his inheritance and it's his love, his love for people. God's greatest joy is people. You're his greatest joy. You're his greatest and highest creation and you're his greatest joy. And you think, oh man, if you know how I feel right now, I'm your joy. God, I'm your joy. The way I'm feeling right now, oh, if you'd have seen my week, if you'd have seen how discouraged I've been. You know, some of us start and we have such a heavenly experience with God, but then we start facing the opposition because Satan does not want us to just live in the joy and live in the heavenly. So he's constantly bombarded our faith. And sometimes we feel good when we just stay home. Oh, it just feels good. I'm not going to church. I'm not being around anyone today. It just feels good. But that's a... A s- it's a subtle way to kill your spiritual life. Really, you've got to keep facing the opposition of you doing anything spiritually. You have to face the opposition to even take time and pray every day or take time to read his word. Why? Because Satan does not want you filled up. He doesn't want you overflowing into that place where you're now exercising authority over him and his little creatures. Isaiah forty nine fourteen overwhelmed by feelings from circumstances. Isaiah prophesies, But Zion at Jerusalem, her people as seen in captivity, said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Do you feel forsaken? Do you feel oppressed? You know, even Denise felt like there was like just people under it today. I think it's perfect time for you to feel like that because I know God wants to lift it off you today. God responds to those feelings of being forsaken. Isaiah 49, 15. Again, I'm reading out of my favorite, the Amplified. And the Lord answered, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget yet I will not forget you. It's interesting, if you've been following the news the last couple of weeks, that couple that left their, I think it was three-month-old, in the car overnight till the next day, I guess it happens. Well, Isaiah wrote it. But God says, I won't and I can't forget you. Isn't that comforting? When you feel forsaken, when you feel abandoned by God, when you feel like he's not doing anything, he reminds us. In this verse, you can write down somewhere the next time you have that feeling to remi- realize Oh, he can't forget me. He won't forget me. He's, he's got me in his hand. Then our key verse for today, John, 1 John 4.19. We love God because he first loved us. Um, can you think about maybe the first time you fell in love, even if it was puppy type? It's so much easier to fall in love with someone when they kind of make the first step and they make those declarations and they tell you, oh, you just look so beautiful and I just feel these little flutters in my heart for you and you're just so awesome. I mean, how many of us fell in love because someone first declared their love t- to us? Anybody? Yeah. God first loved us. God who is everything about love and his very nature is love and God is love. He loved us first. And I think we're on this journey since we invite Jesus Christ to come into our our heart. 
and by partaking in the Holy Spirit, bringing God's love to us, because Romans 5, 5 says that the Holy Spirit is the one that delivers God's love, that baptizes us in God's love. But my concern about the love of God and how God is love is for us to move forward as a church and for us to embrace more people and for people to rise up into new places of ministry so people coming in can have more needs met is that they're going to have to experience God's love in some areas that have shut them down. Areas where we have built walls, areas where we have felt rejected, areas where we have felt forsaken, are places in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions where that begins to stand up against our heart. In our heart is God's love, God's presence. It's God's, uh, those feelings, because really our soul gets affected with good feelings by the overflow of the heart and by us resting in the confidence of God's love. It's almost like it, it shifts gears. I can remember even just doing this message this week, my heart totally changed this week. I felt this love. I was texting different people. I was calling different people because I began to experience that genuine love of God. And I, and I began to just think about their lives and I, and I began to think of their effects on me and, and how they, they have just stepped in and done things for, for the body of Christ. And I had a, this great appreciation for their life and who they are and, and how they stand. But I know, I know a lot of times if we're not experiencing that love, if we're not feeling that love, we stand stuck and we, we don't move. But there is a lost world out there that need the love of God. You know, we have on our sign out there, God's love changing lives, because when we started, we felt like that's what God put on our heart to put, to, to put as, you know, one of our statements. Because we felt genuinely like God's love was what has changed our life. And over the years, as, you know, we started in our home, we saw people being transformed by the love of God. Not necessarily by us, because we don't always feel that love, but the fact that we stand with God and we stand with other people, that often, without our feelings, the way we stand with people, the love of God flows into their life. And God is faithful even sometimes when we can't feel like we can muster any love for anyone. But it's that love of God that changes people. It's that love of God that enables us when we're hurt uh, to go through it and, and see as we, we grow and go along in our relationship with God, eventually he helps us forgive them. And then we look at him in, in a whole different way. In 14 years, I, I felt, felt like a number of hurts with people in church. And I find myself now with some of the people who I felt I got hurt the worst, I find myself um, praying for them I find myself sometimes texting them, reminding them that I love them and that God loves them. I pray for their success. I pray that they would be in the center of God's will and they would find fruitfulness in loving and serving God. But that's all because of God's love. Again, it's not dependent upon us. Let's go to 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice that bought us from our sins. First John 4:11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also should love one another. Now, these are things that, are, that he's asking of us. 
a loving God who we experience and who loves us. It's just asking us to extend that love. And I hope that, like I was working on my heart this week and praying about things, that wherever you're not loving, wherever you feel like you don't want to open your heart again because you've been hurt, let the Holy Spirit release you from those things that have hurt you. Let, let, a, let a forgiveness be released from your heart and let a new openness sweep over you. There's nothing like the love of God because it restores that joy and that reason to live. First um, John 4.12 No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Holy Spirit. Again, it's the Spirit that enables us to pass that love of God on to other people. And we have known, First John 4, 16 and 17, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. The consummation of love, First John 4, 17, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. That's just a confidence. And, you know, after the thousand-year reign, when there's the great white throne judgment, we don't have to fear because we won't go before it. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. We are saved because we walk in faith and in relationship with the God who loves us. And when we confess our sin, he is faithful to continually forgive us our sins. And the Holy Spirit keeps cleansing us of our unrighteousness and keeps helping us overcome those uh, sins and habits that would uh, really bring judgment upon us. 1 John 4, 18 and 19, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, God's love, casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If you have any fear about anything, you know, it's not a sin to, to have a fear. We're, because we have real emotions, we're going to have fears at times. And sometimes as believers, when we have a fear, we feel like we're, we're disappointing God or, or we're, we're really not acting in faith. Again, you have to remember, our emotions can be part of our old nature. And when you have a fear, it's that the fact is that you don't let it stop you. You don't let fear lock you up, but you keep moving past that fear and you are praying that God would keep you moving forward and that fear would not hold you back. And as we walk through our fears, we experience the love of God and we experience freedom from that thing that's trying to hold us back. Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So even our faith, if sometimes we're blocked in our faith, look at our area of love? Is there an area we're walking in for unforgiveness? Because when we are blocked in love, faith is hindered in being working out in our life. Love your enemies. Matthew five forty four. Jesus said to us, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Paul wrote this. This is one of my last scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5, 13 and 15. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. 
For the love of God of Christ compels us, because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, for them who rose again. You know, I had just some thoughts, and I kind of dropped this on our men yesterday, but I feel like it so goes with, um, with resurrection. You know, this trough repre- represents the tomb of Jesus. And our identification and obedience of falling on as disciples of the Lord is to submit to water baptism. And so when we go into those waters, it's like we die to the old nature that drives us and uh, pushes us towards things that are away from God. But when we go under, again, we're identified as Jesus died and he rose again. He was no longer affected and hindered by the things of this world. Satan had no more power over it. In the same way as believers, we have to rise above the circumstances that affect our mind, our will, and our emotions. And that's how we live in that joy. And that's how we live in an expectancy and then that faith. It's not saying you're, you're never going to have a negative feeling or anything, but it's almost like learning how to live in resurrection life. I was watching Rooster Cogburn the last two days, last two nights. And you know, uh, the gal there, she's a, just, they call her a Bible thumper, and she's shooting out scriptures every few minutes. And there was a scene where the, some bad guys were taken out, and so she wants to go pray over their dead bodies. And she uses a scripture, and, and we watched part of it the first night, and she said the scripture, and it just resonated in my spirit. It was, it was uh, Jesus's uh, about being the resurrection life, John eleven twenty five, And so she says it, and I thought, wow, that is hitting something. Like, there is like, here I'm watching a John Wayne movie, an old John Wayne movie, and it's bringing spiritual revelation. And so I looked up that verse again, it, actually two verses, it's 25 and 26. And Jesus is talking to Martha, and he hasn't raised Lazarus again, and he's telling her that he's the resurrection life. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Okay, and we know in the context he was speaking to her about Lazarus because he knew he was going to raise her up. And so he's saying, anyone who believes in me, though they die in this natural life, though their body dies, yet they will live. Verse 26. And, and anytime you see the word and, what does it mean? There's more. This is where I got my nugget. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And the fact that we live and we believe in Jesus, life is flowing through us. Life is flowing through our spirit and it wants to jump over what is affecting us. It wants to jump over our five senses. It wants to jump over discouragement. It wants to jump over doubts, aches and pains, anything the enemy's trying, negative circumstances. Life wants to jump up out of our spirit and cause us to rise above it and wants us to walk in spiritual authority where I'm not shaken for very long by my circumstances. I'm not oppressed very long because, wait a second, his life, what he died and set me free from is now living inside my spirit. But so often we live under our mind, we live under our circumstances, and we're not living in the life that's resurrection. We're not living in that place that's overcoming and overflowing. Now let me ask you another question. Have you ever had someone die, someone maybe you knew, but you didn't get the information or you didn't find out till later, and then it like it really shocked you that they died? 
That ever happened? Like you heard it later? There was a man that I kind of grew up in church with uh, when I was a little kid, and my dad, we all worked with him, his son, we all worked together. And I found out probably, I don't know, maybe June, that he had died, I think, in March. And, and when I found out, I was like, wow, I go, that guy, I mean, I just had so many memories of him. But it just connected me to this, and I said this to the guys before they left yesterday. Do you know you're already dead? All of us who've received Jesus Christ, we are already dead. So why aren't we living in the attitudes and the confidence of that resurrection life? Why aren't we living in the confidence that the Holy Spirit wants to produce and release God's love in our life so we can have more joy in our life, that we can come out from under that oppression and that depression? And then this scripture goes with that. It's, it's Galatians 2.20. Paul wrote this verse under the leading of the Holy Spirit. I have been crucified with Christ. We are already dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there's something that you can take hold of and begin to, to, to let resonate in your spirit that you don't have to live under your circumstances anymore. You don't have to let your joy be robbed anymore, but you can live in this place because we are already dead, but now we are living alive right now on this earth with the love of God and the literally the life of Jesus living in us. Will you stand with me?